Good morning, WCF. It's glad I'm glad to see so many people here, so many new faces. God is good, isn't he? All right, I invite everybody to stand up and worship with us as we open up the service. Take a minute and say hi to the people that are standing around you.
All right. Super excited this morning. God's going to do some amazing things. We're starting a whole new study in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really about how the church moves from the ministry that Jesus was doing to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and part of that ministry, uh, by design, is the building of the church and through missional living. And in a moment, we're going to watch a video that is going to focus on our missionary for the next month. Ernesto, he's uh, our missionary pastor down in Mexico. But one of the other things that's part of missional living is going and making disciples, as we covered last week in the commission where Jesus had called for the church to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And with that, we get to celebrate baptisms today. And it is an awesome thing to be able to do that. And Janet's going to come up here in a few minutes. Um, but I want to share with you a little bit about baptism. And, and having said that, I always put this out, and no one has taken me up on it yet. As we've got the tank filled, and if God has moved on your heart and you haven't been baptized, you could get baptized today. But what is baptism? Baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. It's what God has done inwardly that we share outwardly. It's a commandment that Jesus had given to all believers to be baptized, to be able to declare that faith. It's the confession of faith with that. And, and what does baptism really confess? Well, it confesses the fact that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, gave to them very clear instructions concerning baptism and concerning sin because the problem was they had gotten to this place where they thought, well, grace is a good thing, and it is. Well, if we sin and then we get grace, then should we sin that much more so we get more grace? Nope, doesn't work that way. So, but what he does say is this, those that were once sinners should no longer live unto sin, but they, they should live out their faith and declare that faith. And we do that once through baptism, and then it's the ongoing transformation and transformational work by the Holy Spirit. So Paul in Romans 6, 1 says this, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Well, you can't. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. We look at baptism we say, well, that's kind of weird. You're going to take a person, an adult person, and you're going to put them underwater and they're going to come out. What does that do? Baptism itself, just the going un, uh, under the water and coming out, does absolutely nothing. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a transformational work of God's Spirit. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. But how do people know that? 
It's this public declaration that says that I am, I am united with Christ. You see, just as Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, he was taken from the cross and put into the tomb. Three days later, he rose again and showed us the resurrection of life. I can't die on the cross and, and make it, but I can identify with Jesus, and so I find my new life in Christ. So what baptism is, it is a, a memorial, it's a reminder that tells us that I died once to my sin, and I live continually unto Christ. So the believer's baptism is that declaration of faith. So I'm going to ask Janet to come up. Janet, if you want to come up. Everybody give Janet a welcome and applause. Why don't you come up here and join me? It's super important. So, so this is Janet. Everybody say hi, Janet. Hi, Janet. Janet's short. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Janet, I'm going to let you hold this because we're broadcasting this online so all the people out there can, can hear. So, Janet, have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Tell everybody about it. Uh, I've been coming to this church for about a year, and over this last year, I've decided that's what I would like to do. And I decided it pretty much in the first of this year, and then today's the day. So you ready to get baptized? Yes. All right, well, let's go do it. We come back this way. It's okay, you can step on that. Yep, we go right there to Wendy. turn around. There you go. All right, let's pray for Janet. Father, I thank you for Janet, and I thank you for her desire to follow after you. All the days of her life, Lord, I thank you that you have given to her a faith to believe and understanding. Lord, I would ask that even now in, in her baptism, she's declaring her faith in front of all of these witnesses, that transformational work that you begun, may you continue to do it that you would help her to understand in her heart that she's dead to sin but alive to you. And may she live in, in that joy of that salvation and looking forward to that redemption that she's going to have when she gets to heaven and be able to see you face to face. But till then, Lord, may this continue to bring her great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you have a seat? There you go. <laughs> All right, you can hold your nose. There you go. Janet, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. <laughs> Praise God. Awesome. Okay. You... Yeah. Okay, you can get out now. Okay. <laughs> Is there anybody else? Chickens.
dear Waronites, it is a pleasure to share with you the nature of my ministry at this time. I became part of your missionary efforts through Bill Hammerbeck. Now that was a long time ago. In 1991, he introduced my wife and I to you. Nevertheless, I'm not a missionary proper. I am your missionary pastor in Mexico City, and my work is pastoral. My task is to discharge the Great Commission in this community, preaching, teaching, and leading people to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, making them disciples. For a time, we had a ministry called Mana to the children of a neighboring school in this community. We fed them, for they were poor, but we also led them to the knowledge of the Lord. Unfortunately, the school fell down in an earthquake. At this time, the Lord has called a young man of our church into the ministry, Ricardo, and his wife, Pilar. And they are now studying at the Dallas Theological Seminary. His vision is to reach the world through ministry in Latin America. He has just been awarded a scholarship, which makes me a very proud grandfather, for he is my grandchild. I beg your prayers for Ricardo and his wife. At present time, we are dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, preaching through the World Wide Net. I'm sure you're also doing very much the same. For a time, we had to abide by the demands of the city and close down our building. But we have reopened it, and we are preaching and teaching through the net. That has given us access to people in the USA, in Central America, and other faraway places. Regarding me personally, I am beginning to age. <laughs> I will be 83 next May. My legs fail me, but my mind is sound. I no longer use the Hebrew language. It's too difficult, but I can use my Greek New Testament, and I do use it to prepare messages. No retirement for ministers in Mexico. That's the law. I pray that the Lord will continue to keep me preaching 
and teaching, and that one day, when he sees fit to call me home, he will just flip my switch, and I'll drop dead at the pulpit. <laughs> will that be a surprise to my church? The elders will have to dispose of my body, but I, I will be with Jesus. Now it's been good to communicate again with you, dear friends. I am Ernesto, your missionary pastor at Mexico City. Farewell. Ernesto's a hoot. Yeah. We, uh, we get to celebrate the opportunity to be able to partner with our missionaries. Uh, God is just doing some amazing things with Ernesto and, and setting up the next generation of pastors. He is, he is doing the work of making disciples, of training up the next generation. And at 83, to be able to have that kind of a sense of humor and to continue on really proves out that you're not done until God says you're done. And, and there really is no retirement for believers in the world, let alone pastors in Mexico. We're going to pray uh, over Ernesto. In your bulletins in the center section, you're going to see um, some different prayer requests for him. Uh, to pray for Ernesto, for his physical, to, for his grandson Ricardo and wife as they continue. Uh, in school uh, for the, the COVID uh, restrictions that they would continue to uh, be lifted and for opportunities for ministry. Also, I'm going to pray over this morning's offering as the ushers come forward to gather this morning's tithes and offering. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace and your provision. You are amazing. In all the things that you do, God, it is so far beyond our comprehension how you are working intricately in the lives of individuals and then corporately within the church. We pray for Ernesto. I thank you for his faithfulness and his stewardship of the gospel in Mexico City. May you continue to fill him with your spirit, empower him for the work, give him good health, and raise up those that he would be able to hand off the ministry to that the work would continue. I thank you for Ricardo and, and his wife as they continue to study and their passion to go out to the world. And Lord, that's our calling, is to go out to the world. May we see that calling fulfilled in our lives as we as a church partner with those abroad. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, to be able to do that, it's through provision. We thank you for the provision of these offerings and tithes that are being gathered that afford us the ability to do ministry here in South Columbia County and throughout the world, to continue to preach the gospel and to be able to bring truth to life to those that, that are in darkness. Lord, I thank you that you're continuing that work of provision. May you bless this offering in the hands that are bringing them, and may we see you glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
absolutely amazing. You are so good. You're so good to every one of us in this room. Thank you for just letting us come pour our heart out for you. And just to be here together in your name, lifting your name up and just worshiping as one body, God. And thank you for the baptism today. Thank you that we can just celebrate you all throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Find your way over to the book of Acts. How many of you recognize the name Paul Harvey? All you young people are going, who? He's a radio, radio talk show guy, and, and uh, he, he would have interviews and different things. But do you remember what his, his tagline was? And now for the... Now for the rest of the story. For you young people, you can Google it. But it was always very cool because he would take a headline and then he would give you more of the story. And that's really what the book of Acts is. The author of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. Luke was a physician uh, for Paul. He traveled with him uh, throughout his journeys within that. And he had determined that he wanted to write an account. Actually, it was a a two-volume account. There was the gospel according to Luke, and then there are the Acts of the Disciples. And that's why we call it Acts, short, Acts of the Disciples. He was writing this, a treaty or a document, in order to be able to explain to a guy by the name of Theophilus, Greek name, lover of God, why he should believe in Jesus. And so as he's writing to to Theophilus, he would start with, the ministry of Jesus that would begin from the birth of Jesus to Jesus' ascension. Now it's part one. And then he would write the second volume, which would be the ascension of Jesus all the way to Paul going to Rome, which would be the work or the ongoing work of the church as it was birthed. And so as you take a look, if you really kind of want to take a look historically of, of a good documentation of the beginning of the church and then the ongoing work of the church. You can read Luke and then you can read through Acts. It's not meant to be conclusive, but really to give you an idea of who this is. Now, Theophilus, we really don't know a lot about this guy other than it's a Greek name. His name means lover of God. Luke opens up the, uh, the, the editorial in, in Luke. He says, to O Theophilus, most excellent... A lot of people believe that he was part of a, a Roman hierarchy of some, some type. It was a title that was given to them. And he closes the Gospel of Luke with Jesus getting ready to ascend. He is, he's died on the cross. He rose again. And so now he's getting ready to hand off the ministry. And it goes from the selecting of the twelve to establishing the work of the ministry, that now the church is going to grow. And it is going to grow from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, which really is how Luke outlined the book of Acts, and how that ministry would start very small and it would grow into a movement, a gospel movement. But have you ever wondered how that happened? How has something that has been in process for over 2,000 years, radically changing lives, 
moving throughout continent upon continent, people upon people, bringing all of these individuals into one common faith, worshiping one common God. How does that happen? You can't get people to agree on anything, let alone one relationship with God and watch lives get transformed. I mean, like really transformed. How does that happen? And how does it how does it maintain an organization? Because how does that work? It's really an organism. And it's all empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. We call Acts the Acts of the Disciples, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. It's the power of God that is working through the followers of Jesus. And the group gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We are here today as a result of what happened over 2,000 years ago in the birth of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit. You are here today because of the Holy Spirit doing that work in your heart to move you into that place, to woo you into a place of understanding that you need to be saved and being saved, then what do you do? It's the mission of the church to empower people with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to introduce them to Jesus. But it's really the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms your heart. It's an inward work. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is man's way of creating a formation of spirituality that tries to get close to God. It's ritual, it's rules, it's all these things. And will fail miserably. But a relationship is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that works internally, that changes the heart, and you can't explain it. But it is a supernatural power, a divine power, that, that equips you and equips you to be a witness, to be able to share the truth. And so, as we take a look at Acts today, we're going to start in chapter 1. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but I can tell you there's a 29th chapter. Do you know what that 29th chapter is? Now. Because the book of Acts doesn't have an ending. The account ends with Paul going into Rome, but really, Acts 29 is the ongoing work of the church. So, if the writer, Luke, or whoever, because Luke's dead, was to write the Acts of, let's do this, fill in your name, the Acts of Carrie. What would that account read like? What would it read? How would it read in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? The transformational work. From the time that you were born and all of the events that were orchestrated by God to the calling into faith, to that time where you come to faith and knowledge of Jesus and then the ongoing ministry work. How would that read? Because that's exactly what the book of Acts is. It really describes the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early church, starting with the, the 11, plus Paul would be 12, and then ongoing as the church would be built. One of my, my hopes is this, that you will embrace the calling of, the, of God on your life and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has uniquely designed you to do, to fulfill and see that happen. As is our practice, we read through the text of the Scriptures. We know where God's going to lead us, and we open our hearts. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We give respect to God's Word, because it's really God's Word and the Holy Spirit that changes us. 
within this. In Acts 1, 1, it says this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And until the day when he was taken up to heaven and after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard it from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time? Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which a father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into the heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So as we take a look at Acts, every writer starts with a prologue. Verses 1 and 2 is Luke's prologue. By design, he's laying out the transition within his reading or his writing to Theophilus to really kind of know where we're going. He gives the summary of the content. And so he tells us that the, in the first account, I composed Theophilus, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that was the starting point. But now here's the rest of the story, the rest of the account. The former work of the gospel of Jesus began the ministry. The ministry began with one man and one movement. That movement had, had entered into all of Jerusalem and in Galilee within these people that are there, the disciples that were there, that the teaching and all of that was happening. And Jesus fulfilled his mission and his ministry. But as the ministry would grow, it would grow beyond the Jews. Now, the Jews in their mind, they thought, okay, we have a Jewish Messiah, we have Jesus, and, and our focus needs to be on us. And Jesus says, no, it's much more than that. It's much more than that. It, God intended that every person be saved, that the Messiah, Jesus, would not be just for the Jews, but salvation would come to everybody. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? That's why we support missionaries. That's why, in a, as a church, we are missional. We are, we are to give out the gospel message, the good news, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you put your faith and trust in him and believe in him for your salvation, you will be saved. And it requires a confession of the mouth, of the belief in the heart. And God guarantees that and gives that to you. That's the simple message of the gospel. And it's a ministry that Jesus modeled at the cross, and the church would grow from the teaching. How does the church grow? Two things. 
the teachings of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every church that is going to grow in the mission that God has called them to must focus on the teaching of God's Word. People don't care what you think, and they don't care about your opinions, because your opinions, quite frankly, and what you think will not bring salvation. It is only the teachings that Jesus has given and the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to connect two parts of our anatomy, our head and our heart. But many people miss heaven by 18 inches. 18 inches. What is 18 inches? It's the distance between this and this. You can have great head knowledge. You can have great theology. But if the power of the Holy Spirit has not transformed your heart, you're still not saved. You have to come to that place where you've fully surrendered and that ministry. And so within this, it was important that Jesus would establish the, the foundation for salvation through the cross and his teachings... But it was also important that the Holy Spirit would come and do that transformational work within that. And so Luke creates this link within this to record this. He says, until the day that he was taken up into heaven by the Holy Spirit, he gave orders for the chosen. In other words, he gave the disciples their marching orders. I can tell you this. It's always hard when leadership changes. Do you guys like change? No. We like things the same. I like... How it is because it's comfortable. I like to know who's in charge. I like to know what is expected. I, I, I like that place of being comfortable within that. But could you imagine these 11 going through the traumatic event of watching their Savior die on the cross, rise again three days later, and all they've known for three years is that Jesus told them what to do and when to do it. And now he says, I'm leaving. Would that be traumatic for them? What would be the next thing? What, 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 what do you mean you're leaving? We just got you back. Where are you going? Well, I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave you in charge. Question. If you were Jesus and you had this group of 11, <laughs> would you trust them with the salvation message for the whole world? All mankind? These guys couldn't even get along with one another. He said, I'm leaving you in charge. It's kind of like the first time that you probably left your high school kids alone in the house by themselves. That terrifying feeling like, oh, is, it, is the house still going to be standing when we get there? But Jesus knew that as he left, he wouldn't leave them alone. He would send the Holy Spirit. Why was it necessary for Jesus to leave? For the for the People that he trained to step up. Change is not bad. Change is good. Change is good when you've established those that will come in behind you that will take up the work. We watched the video Ernesto where he is 83. And, you know, his, his prayer is like, I'm going to... Weird sense of humor. I'm going to die in the pulpit while I'm teaching and then my elders have to deal with my body. Dude, you're weird. But he's training up leaders to be able to take his place, to continue on. And that's been going on in the church since then because it's called the process of discipleship. Training the next generation. 
We should be about training the next generation in the Word of God, whether it's through Awanas, whether it's through young marriage, whether it's in your own household, to continue to train them up, to bring them to a, a place of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ministry is not about one person. It never should be about one person. It's the movement and the power of God that's working out universally throughout mankind. It's the reproduction of yourselves to others. People need to learn and do. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. It's, it's participant. You need to be in it and doing it in the context of your calling and serve. And you're, you're like, well, I'm terrified to open my mouth. Don't be afraid. Really, don't be afraid. Why? Because God's given His Spirit will give you the words, will give you the power. You say, well, it's scary. Well, maybe at first. But when you act upon the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you, you will be blown away by what God does. And you'll go, well, that wasn't me. That was God. And you'll see God work in amazing ways. So what does he do after the prologue? Well, then he narrates Jesus' instructions, the transition, and it's really telling the disciples, prepare for Pentecost. In verses 3 through 8, he says to them, he presents himself alive and, he, and convincing proof. So what does Jesus do? Well, in the first part, Jesus presents himself alive after his death and, and resurrection. Why? Because he needs to prove... Not just to these eleven, but to others, convincing proofs that he rose from the dead. That they would be eyewitnesses. The first part of being a good witness is to be an eyewitness. In other words, you have to personally experience the presence of Jesus in your life. You will never be able to testify about something you don't know. And so maybe this morning you need to pray, God, open the eyes of my understanding that I might know you. Not that I just keep it to myself, but that I can share you with other people. If I was to ask you the question, what has Jesus done in revealing himself to you in your life? Could you mark those times? Those times when you read God's word and it comes alive to you? Jesus wasn't stopping ministry, but he was expanding ministry. In Jesus' ministry on earth, how many places could he be at one time? One. And how many people could he minister to at one time? As much as one person could at a time, right? Whether it was feeding the 5,000 or pouring his life into the 11 disciples. But imagine what it looks like when he duplicates himself and replicates himself into the lives of others. When he leaves and the Holy Spirit now empowers everybody. No longer is ministry in one location, but it expands. And so the divine presence that Jesus brought just to Galilee and just to Jerusalem needed to change. The divine presence now needed to be experienced in other ways. But first they had to experience Jesus. And so he gives them these proofs. What were some of the proofs? Well, he would eat with them. He would reveal himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He would reveal himself in a lot of different ways to Peter and restoring Peter in the shore of Galilee. All of these things. He would bring the word and he would remind them for a period of 40 days. He would spend that time in preparation for leaving. He would spend that time in the instructor and within this. 
But yet there was an end to the divine presence of Jesus in order for there to be a beginning of the divine presence of the Holy Spirit. You are, as a believer, the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. You have access to unlimited divine power and understanding and a counseling and, and, and comprehension of, of the sacred truth of God's Word that you can take that to other people. You can be and are to be a light in a dark place. You say, well, Carrie, I don't feel like a bright light. I feel oftentimes like a dim bulb. Yeah? Well, stop being a dim bulb. Remove the shades. The more you exercise your life in the Spirit, the more you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would spend 40 days, as Luke tells us, three days from the crucifixion to the tomb, and then another 40 days, which would leave another seven days of prayer when Jesus would ascend. What was the seven days? The seven days was a time of prayer where they would go to the upper room and they would just wait until Pentecost, which was the, this feast that they would have. It was Pente being 50, and it was a, a Jewish celebration. He says, just go and wait there, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 4. Don't leave Jerusalem. Why? Because the, the disciples had been coming and going from Jerusalem. They were traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem back and forth over that period of time. He says, go and wait. Be unified in one space, the upper room, and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. One of the key things that we have to understand is this. For ministry to take place, for these divine resources to meet human needs, you have to wait on the Holy Spirit. We can step in the way and get in the way. But in order to really understand the Holy Spirit, you've got to pause and you have to wait and be silent. Say, God, lead me. God, show me. Be in that state of presence and say, God, I, I, I want to be filled with your power, your presence, your spirit. If it's a specific situation, waiting and, and just sitting and being still and letting God do the leading is important. And he basically said, go there and don't leave until you receive. Don't leave until you receive. In our busy lives, when was the last time you actually practiced the presence of God? Where you went to a place and turned everything off and remained silent and undistracted, waiting for the presence of God to be revealed. Maybe that's why the light is not so bright. Maybe because we're not waiting like we should. The problem is, as a Christ follower, when we try to do ministry apart from the power of God, it will fail miserably. We need the power of God. We need to be empowered by the Spirit. Ministry, true ministry, is accomplished through inspiration, not perspiration. God doesn't want programs. God wants to funnel His power through you via the Holy Spirit, to be able to do this. And he says, go and wait for what? Verse 5. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had prophesied many times about this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means to immerse. It's to be able to identify with, as we saw earlier, to be immersed in water or baptized in water really exemplifies the fact that a believer is baptized into the death of Christ, symbolically, within that. 
When you're baptized into the Holy Spirit, you are placed into the authority and the structure and the power of the Holy Spirit. Your life is put into that place where the Holy Spirit now is in charge of your life. And so within this, it was time for the church to be born. How was the church born? It wasn't born through man's effort or some good idea. It was born through the Holy Spirit. It's what gave the church the birth. John's baptism for water was just repentance. But it wasn't transformational. The transformational work is the work of the Holy Spirit that you must be born again. Jesus covered it in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Within this, you've got to be born of the Spirit. Peter would preach it in Acts 2.38. After Peter receiving the Holy Spirit, gives the first sermon, and he says this in this sermon, Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, note, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? At your conversion. You're forgiven of your sins, and you receive the Holy Spirit. It is an empowering that takes place at that point in time. If you've accepted Christ and you've, you've had your sins forgiven and you were baptized identifying with Him outwardly, then the, the next empowerment is the work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism and, and confession, which is what believers do now in baptism, we're confessing. At confession, it's a one-time action Receiving Christ. You receive Christ once. And that forgiveness of sins. But at that point in time, you need power to move forward. You need the ability to be able to continue on in ministry. And so all New Testament believers will experience that forgiveness of sins and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at conversion so that you can continue that work. For the disciples, they were coming to this place of waiting for that power, that regeneration power. And from that power, you're to go and what? Verses 6 through 8, be my witnesses. So within this, he says, not many days forward. Why? Because it wasn't going to be many days forward. It was only about seven days. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Verse 6 says, so when they had come together, they were asking the Lord. So this would have been the day of the ascension. On the Mount of Olives. They all come together with Jesus on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And they come to the Mount of Olives and they're looking across the Mount of Olives that looks across the Kidron Valley at the Temple Mount. And they heard that the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. And they said, okay, are we ready? Are we ready? Are you going to establish your kingdom? Why? Because Jews believed that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would mark the incoming of the Messianic kingdom. That Jesus would establish his kingdom on earth. Okay, Jesus died, he rose again, we believe that he is Messiah, he demonstrated that power. He says that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us in a few days, are we going to get the kingdom now? What was the problem with the disciples? They were looking for a political kingdom. They were banking on, actually, the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, 28-32, which is one of many passages that speaks of this. A prophecy being fulfilled says this, It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. 
Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered or saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem will be those who will... There will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. What does Joel say? In those last days, there's going to be a universal calling. There's going to be a universal giving of the Holy Spirit. It didn't matter what class you're in, that God's going to do this incredible work. Jesus, is it now? And Jesus said, "Mm, it's not up to you to know these things. It's not up to you to know. The Jews viewed it from a nationalistic point of view. Jesus needed them to understand that the calendar, God's divine calendar, belongs to God. You ever thought about what would happen if you knew the day that the Lord would return? Would that change how you live? If you knew that Jesus was coming back, let's say, I don't know, July 4th, 2024. How would you live differently knowing that he's going to come back on that day. Would you procrastinate? Would you try to get the most out of this world that you can? How would you live? Why doesn't God tell us the exact day, the exact time? Because he knows who we are. He wants us to live as if Jesus was going to return at any moment. Back to the illustration of your high school kids. You go away for the weekend. They know you're going to be gone Friday, Saturday, come back on Sunday. What are they doing while you're gone? Oh, you know. Why do you know? Because you did it to your parents. They're not going to be back for two days. Right? And the last two hours before they're supposed to be home, what are you doing? Cleaning up and hiding things. I know. We need to live in light of the imminent return of Jesus. We need to understand that He can come back at any time. There is an anxiety that is a good anxiety. We don't know the dates or the times. We should always live in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return. And with that, we should not put off the things that we should do. Have you ever heard of short-timers? Yeah, or if you have a high school senior, senioritis, right? You know you're graduating, so your last term you don't do anything. Why? Because I'm already graduated. Well, you're not there yet. There's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. And Jesus says, don't worry about how much longer. Worry about who hasn't heard. Don't worry about how much longer till Jesus returns. Worry about who hasn't heard the gospel message. Because how are you going to feel if Jesus comes back and you procrastinated to share the gospel with your family, friends, or loved ones? And they don't make it. I had a conversation with a guy this last week. And he asked me, he asked this question, he says, I was talking with somebody and he said, I'm not going to make it up into the big house. I go, really? He goes, yeah, he says, I'm not going to make it. 
I said, well, you know you're still breathing, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, if you're still breathing, you still have opportunity because Jesus hasn't come back yet. If you want to make it into the big house, you need to take care of business right now. And don't wait for tomorrow. You understand that today is the day of salvation. Then don't put off for tomorrow. But having said that, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we should not put off those conversations that we need to have with other people till tomorrow. There is no guarantee for tomorrow. We need to live in light of the imminent return of Jesus or our going home to be with him. And so within this, he tells the disciples, don't worry about dates and times. That, that divine calendar belongs to God. We need to live as if today is the last day and understand that God is going to give you the power to do this work within this. The Father has His own authority, but you, you, you're going to receive that power. Look at verse 8, it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Two imperatives. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses to go out. The source of the power is via the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that power is given to you to be a witness, an eyewitness of what God has done. You say, well, Carrie, I don't have a story. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Your story has been written for you uniquely by God, giving you that testimony. You say, well, it's not a great testimony. You know, I've been in the church all my life. and Yeah, that's your testimony. And it is your testimony that is necessary for people to hear. And you never know how God is going to use your testimony and your witness to change somebody's life. That witness may be a one-time conversation or it may be an ongoing lifestyle. But you are a witness of the power of the resurrection. You know what the greatest witness is? A person that is convinced that Jesus is Lord. That's a great witness. The great witness I know that if I was to die, I'm going to be in heaven because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. That's a great witness. Especially in a world today that is so utterly confused and lost. How is it that, Carrie, you can be so confident of things because of Jesus? I'm scared of everything. You don't have to be scared. Because if you trust Jesus and trust that Jesus has your future then all this other stuff doesn't matter. All the anxiety, the depression, all of that, it doesn't matter. Why? Because I know the one that holds my future in his hand, and he will never let me go. Who is to be the audience? Jesus says, the whole world. I love the systematic view. Start in Jerusalem, then move in Judea, Samaria, then go to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus doesn't call them and say, okay, you eleven, go out to Rome. No. Start in your Jerusalem. Well, who am I to witness to? Well, the answer is simple. What's your Jerusalem? In other words, where do you live? Start in your own house. Start with your own family. Start in your own community. That's your Jerusalem. And as that grows, you will be moved further on out to those places that God would lead you. 
We need to embrace that calling and serve by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of where God has us. There are people that are local missionaries. There are people that are missionaries throughout the world. But you are a missionary. Maybe your Jerusalem is your workplace. Maybe your Jerusalem is your family members. Maybe your uttermost parts of the world, as I heard today of a, of a granddaughter that is getting ready to go out into the mission field. I don't know. But Jesus says you're not empowered to just sit. You're empowered to go. The gospel message needs to have feet. And you are the feet. Well, as Jesus is saying these things and giving them these instructions, he starts floating. How weird would that be? Do you imagine having a conversation with Jesus or you're having a conversation with somebody and they start coming off the ground? Right? And he starts ascending. His mission was done. It was time for him to return to heaven. Nine says, had he said these things, he lifted up, and while they were looking, a cloud received him in sight. We're not given a lot of detail about other than the fact that Jesus ascended slowly and a, and a, a cloud received him. Why did Jesus have to leave? His work on earth was done. Did he stop working? No. He would go be the mediator arbitrator on behalf of you and I at the right hand of the throne of God. And every time Satan would try to come and say, hey, look, did you see what Carrie did? Jesus would say, got him covered. He's mine. And he prays for us. We also know that Jesus would continue. He'd show up and receive Stephen when he was martyred. He would teach Paul all the things that needed to be. Jesus didn't retire. He had a job change. Why? Because his work on earth was done. And he ascended just like Enoch in Genesis 5.24. Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11, as the prophets did. And where did he go? A cloud received him. When you study the Bible and you take a look at clouds, what are clouds? They're always the presentation of God. Whether it was Mount Sinai, or it was a cloud that filled the tabernacle, or a cloud that filled the temple. Jesus finished his work. Or it was the voice at the Mount of Transfiguration. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father received him. What did the disciples do? Verses 10 and 11. They stood looking up, gazing in the sky. I think it's more like gawking in the sky. Did you see what I saw? He is up there and now he is gone. Meanwhile, two angels, and you've got to love God's sense of humor. Two angels come in right behind him and said, and you know, the text is always linear. It says men of Galilee. But I, in, in my sanctified imagination, I imagine the disciples staring in disguise, looking up, because there's Jesus, and he's going up into the clouds. And the two angels come in behind him and go, men of Galilee! <laughs> Whew, coming out of their skin. Why are you looking up? Go do what he told you to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So many times, we don't embrace our calling and our mission. Because we get saved, and then we say, I'm not doing anything until Jesus comes back. Stop looking up. Start looking out. You are not saved to keep looking up. You are saved to look out. To find those that need to hear the gospel of peace.
and embrace that calling, what should we do? We should prepare for our Pentecost. Well, you're saying, Carrie, I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. Then pray for revival. Revive that spirit within me that I would be energized to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given to us that hope and that future. God, I thank you that you have given us that that power to be ministers and to gospel presenters to the whole world in the context that we live in. Lord, I know that that each one of us has a different context, a different ministry, and a different focus. Lord Jesus, we know you're going to come back, and you can come back at any time. But till you come back, may we be doing the work that you've called us to do. The empowerment that comes from the Spirit to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, I pray for those this morning that maybe have not received that power because they're not saved. If that's you this morning, you've witnessed a baptism, you've heard about the power offered to you. But the first thing that has to be done is you have to ask for God to forgive you of your sin. Because it's sin that separates us from God. But once that separation is removed, you can walk in the power that God has for us. Let's close our time with this worship song.
God, we thank you that we can come and worship you here. And Lord, we look forward to that day where we'll see you face to face. But until then, may we be busy about the work that you've called us to do. Sharing hope and truth and love. Pray us out. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that has been given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we go out, may we go out in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of peace and love to a world that is dying and dying to know you. Lord, may we be your hands and your feet. And may everything we say and do make you smile. All God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.